And I stand here, Father Lord, with my family. I just thank you. Because I know that, Father Lord, you're moving in each and every life. And as we've offered up our worship and our praise to you, you've been pouring yourself into each and every one. I know you're building their faith. I know you're building their hearts. I know you're ministering to them, God, in a very personal way. And I thank you. I thank you tonight, God, because I feel in my spirit, even the songs, Father Lord, that we sang as we worshiped you, Father Lord, that revival and awakening, God, it is happening. We're seeing that. And I stand in all of your presence, God, of what you do in our lives. Because you bring the broken, the lost, the hurting. You bring them back to a place, Father Lord, where they can be fully restored. And that starts with that relationship with you, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. You forgive us of all of our sins. You cast them as far as the east is from the west. You purify our lives. And I'm thankful for that salvation, God, that's happening God, in our families, in our homes, in our children, in our community. I'm thankful, Father Lord, for the reports we are hearing, Father, from our churches, God. Father Lord, for what you're doing, God, in people's lives, because we believe it's, Father, just the beginning, Father Lord, of a great awakening, Father Lord, across our nation. But not only salvation, you are a healer, because I believe in all of this, a part of this, God, is you're healing. You're doing a miraculous work, and people will not be able to give any other credit than other than to you because of the way it's been performed and done. Yes, we're thankful for all the means you have given us. We're thankful for surgeons and doctors and medication and tests and all those things, God, that I believe is wisdom that you have given. I thank you for that. But God, I believe in the miraculous power of Jesus Christ, that cancer is being dissolved in people's lives, even though those here tonight that have family members or maybe themselves, God, that have that disease in their body, that they are being healed in a miraculous and a mighty way. Even in the last hour, Father Lord, you can heal and restore, and I pray that in Jesus' name. I'm thinking, Father Lord, there's just so many things that you're doing in people's lives. The one that struggles, God, with their, with their blood sugar levels, God, you can heal them, Father Lord, completely. And I believe that in Jesus' name. The one that, that struggles, Father Lord, God, with virus in their body, Father Lord, you heal, you restore. Those that struggle, Father Lord, physically, bodies just wore down. You renew, Father Lord, and give strength. And I believe those testimonies, God, will see happening, God, as, Father Lord, you continue to move upon the people's lives. Jesus, when you walked through the villages, one of the things you did, Father Lord, that was a priority. You healed the people. You touched their lives, healed them of their disease, their sicknesses, Father Lord, God. I believe that, Father, in this time, you truly are restoring people in their health and their mental health. Our children need restoration in their mental health. Our children, Father, need your presence, Father Lord, upon them. So I pray over children and over adults, God, that you will continue to restore minds and hearts, Father Lord, in who they are. And I thank you for that. God, so there's salvation, there's healing, there's families being reunited, there's reconciliation. It's happening, Jesus, and we thank you and we praise you and we hold on to that. And I, God, I know here, even in this group that's with us, I know it's an intimate setting, but I know they have, they have requests. They have needs, God, in their lives, on their hearts, and their minds. Even as I pray right now, they're thinking of others, God. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we just give all that to you. We yield to you. We thank you. Thank you for the work. Thank you for the miracle. Thank you for the testimony, Father Lord, that will be given of your power at work. I thank you and I honor you. Tonight, Lord, as we just continue on in the study of your word, going through the life of Abraham, going through the life of his family, I pray an anointing, God, upon, Father Lord, just the reading of your word as we discuss it, we talk it. Father Lord, it's your word that's alive and active and powerful, not the words of Kelly and I. It's your word, Father Lord, that stirs us. So I pray, Father Lord, that tonight we're just vessels. Use us. And I pray here in the sanctuary. Just a strong, strong, strong sense of your presence and a boldness and a confidence as we come to you, believing and trusting you in this entire campus. Our babies, our children, our youth, our young adults, our bridge builders, those meeting in grief share. God, you're doing a pretty amazing work in grief share. You're healing some hearts. And I thank you, Father, for the ministry. It's all because of you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, church family. You may be seated this evening. Thank you so much for being with us here on this Wednesday night. And let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. Let's turn to 
the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. It is uh, very lengthy, and, and curiosity, as Kelly and I was, she was talking about a couple things she's going to present to you this evening uh, as we get started, but uh, uh, not a lot of mention in the New Testament, maybe, maybe just one place in Acts that kind of refers to perhaps this chapter, and so, but it's a very uh, significant chapter. It's, you're going to hear Kelly and I say tonight probably a few times, this is just a beautiful story as it unfolds. And it's going to take us, uh, take us to a good place. I'm going to begin reading, but before I do so, uh, I know Kelly's going to back up just a little bit. We're not going to read chapter 23, but there are some interesting thoughts uh, that she wants to give us as we get started. So in Genesis 23, it's a pretty short chapter, and um, something of significance happens, and that is that Sarah passes away. That's when we find out about her death, and... Um, so there's two things that happened in that chapter that I thought were pretty interesting, and both of them, I believe, point to Abraham's love for Sarah, and the first one is that in the Bible, um, it's the very first time that it's mentioned that someone weeps or cries over someone, and Genesis 23.1 says that when Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. And then the other thing that I thought was really significant is that this is the only land where Sarah is buried. Is the only land that Abraham ever purchases in the land of Canaan. Now you and I know that God told him that all of the land of Canaan was his. It was, it was given to him by God. But Abraham specifically buys a plot of land in Canaan um, at Machpelah, and it's where is, there's a cave on that land, and it's where Sarah was to be buried. And um, I believe both of those just attest to what we've talked about several weeks about how much Abraham loved Sarah. And so we just thought that was kind of interesting, yeah. and we wanted to share that out of chapter 23. Absolutely. So as we have that on our hearts, let's now move here to Genesis chapter 24. And it's got 67 verses, and so uh, we'll just uh, look at it real closely here, and then we'll take a look. It says, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. The servant asked, But what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land in which you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to, his fo to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to a distant Aram Naharaim. Then he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. O oh Lord God of my master, Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today. And show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master." Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebekah coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. 
She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor, and his wife, Milcah. Rebekah was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. Whose daughter are you, he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? I'm the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for your camels, and we have room for guests. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, he said. The Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. The young woman ran home to tell her family everything that had happened. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban who ran out to meet the man at the spring. He had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he had heard Rebekah tell what the man had said. So he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. Laban said to him, Come and stay with us, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town when I have a room all ready for you and a place prepared for the camels? So the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels, gave him straw for their bedding, fed them, and provided water for the man and the camel drivers to wash their feet. Then food was served. But Abraham's servant said, I don't want to eat until I've told you why I have come. All right, Laban said, tell us. I am Abraham's servant, he explained. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become a wealthy man. The Lord has given him flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, a fortune in silver and gold, and many male and female servants and camels and donkeys. When Sarah, my master's wife, was very old, she gave birth to my master's son, and my master has given him everything he owns. And my master made me take an oath. He said, do not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my father's house, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son. But I said to my master, what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to go back with me? And he responded, the Lord in whose presence I have lived will send his angel with you and will make your mission, mission successful. Yes, you must find a wife for my son from among my relatives, from my father's family. Then you will have fulfilled your obligation. But if you go to my relatives and they refuse to let her go with you, you will be free from my oath. So today, when I came to the spring, I prayed this prayer. O oh Lord God of my master, Abraham, please give me success on this mission. See, I am standing here beside this spring. This is my request. When a young woman comes to draw water, I will say to her, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will draw water from your camels too. Let her be the one who have, you, you have selected to be the wife of my master's son. Before I had finished praying in my heart, I saw Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and she drew water. So I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly loaded her jug from her shoulder and said, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels too. So I drank and then she watered the camels. Then I asked, whose daughter are you? And she replied, I'm the daughter of Bethuel and my grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. Then I bowed low and I worshiped the Lord and I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, because he had led me straight to my master's niece to be his son's wife. So tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I'll know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here's Rebecca, take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and he worshiped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then they ate their meal and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, send me back to my master. But we want Rebekah to stay with us at least 10 days, her brother and mother said, then she can go. But he said, do not delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, 
We'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man, they asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose name was in the Negev, had returned from Birlahiroi. One evening as he was walking and uh, meditating in the fields, he looked up and he saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, it is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything that he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. And she became his wife. He loved her deeply. And she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. All right, Kelly, why don't you... Oh, no, I said I was going to take out a little bit tonight. Yeah, I was going to stay, and then you're going to go with you. Again, this is, you might, when you're first reading it, and if you go through it too quickly, it's a little bit repetitive, but I believe it's so beautiful the way it's written because we just see how this story unfolds. And there's so much here, and, and I don't really have a whole lot because it's pretty straightforward, but we're just going to kind of build on our conversation as we go here. The first thing I just think about Abraham his commitment and his trust that he has in the Lord. He has become, you know, an old man now, and his trust has truly grown. I mean, the request that he makes, uh, the oath that he has, uh, and I think Kelly's going to talk a little bit about that, the oath that he has his servant take, and then not even holding him to it in the sense that if they choose not to go with you, I, I'm not going to hold that against you, because I just, I see in this just how his trust has grown in the Lord. He's just unwavering in the Lord's just promise, unwavering in the Lord's direction. And he understands fully, completely, that what God has promised, it is going to, it is going to happen. And so I just see his commitment and dedication to the Lord uh, in this part of life. And, and that's something that I hope we can all see, that as we grow older, we're going to go through many trials just like Abraham has. We have just, got, we have just seen a snapshot of his life. Over these last few weeks, yes, we've looked at some you know, pretty amazing stories. But if you really think about it, even though there's much said in the scripture about Abraham and who he is, we have really just seen a snapshot of his life. But it's enough to help us understand that he went through trials, he went through difficulties, some of them self-imposed. He had fear, then he had courage, and then he, goes, he takes a few steps forward, then he takes a few steps back. And you watch him along his journey, and you just see how his faith continues to grow. And he gets to the point when, you know, now he, he's getting, you know, close to the end of his life, and he's just unwavering in who he is. That is a prayer that Michelle and I pray often. Lord, as we grow older... We just want our confidence and our trust in you to be unwavering. We realize there's a lot of things probably to fear in old age. There are probably a lot of things to fear when it comes to your health, uncertainty, the loss of a spouse, others around you that begin to pass away. I know when I'm talking with my parents, it seems like every single week, you know, they're telling me of someone around their age that has passed away. And so they focus a lot on death. They focus a lot on, on just, you know, that part of life. And even though I'm, you know, not there yet, I, I begin to see it and understand, you know, that's just because of, of where they're at in this season. And so our, my prayer, so Michelle and I will talk and we'll pray and, we're, and, and we just want to be able to have unwavering faith. We realize there are many things, many things, as long as the Lord has us here, so many uncertainties, so much more growth, so much more that we're going to go through, a lot of trials, a lot of tests, a lot of challenges, but to get to the place in all of that where I'm just trusting the Lord and the directing of his Holy Spirit, that's where we want to be. I don't want to be grouchy. I don't want to be, you know, uh, I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to be, you know, just it's, you know, my way or the highway. I want to have a heart that just continues to grow in the Lord. And I see a beautiful story like this. And Abraham has grown so much. And he trusts 
that God's plan is going to be fulfilled through his son Isaac. And he trusts that God is going to lead his servant to the right place. He trusts that God has already prepared the heart of a woman out there who is going to be the wife of Isaac. She is going to be the mother of all of these, you know, countless, you know, we won't even, it says millions here in this version, but, you know, countless descendants. And so God has already prepared this, and Abraham understand that. So he, he has grown so much. Uh, and then I just look at Abraham's servant. Uh, we don't know him by name, you know, right here in this chapter. We can go back and look and maybe try to figure out maybe who that is, but it's really not necessary, and I believe it's not written here because that's not what's necessary because God is directing this. Don't you know the Holy Spirit's at work right here? You know God the Father is at work. We know Jesus the Son, the Son of God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work here. Uh, there's just so much that we see here. But Abraham's servant displays so much faith and so much commitment to the Lord. And I love the fact when it says that he called out to the Lord. He called out to the Lord God. I see in this, even though he's not named, the servant has great faith in God. So that makes my mind go to the places he has, I think, learned this from Abraham. Abraham has had such influence on his family, such influence on those who serve him, such influence on all those people. And of course, I know this was his you know, most trusted servant, and he had great respect for him. And the reason is, is because he had saw how the Lord had worked in his life as well. And so, yes, he may not be Abraham, the father of many, but he is the one that God chose to use to go and find Rebekah for Isaac. And the commitment level of him, the trust that he has. So two things. One, it shows me, look how significant our faith and our walk is to those who are close around us. And then look what we can learn from those that we're watching as well. And so I see two sides of that here. I think it's just incredible. And then Rebecca. Rebecca, not much is said here other than she says, I will go. To me, that just demonstrates such faith. And I understand the time, and I understand that this was the custom, and, 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 and this is, you know, how it worked as many times, you know, that's how wives were chosen. But I love the fact that she did not have to go. This was not a forced marriage because you saw it here as we read it. This was not forced in any way. However, it was ordained by God. God had been preparing this moment the entire time. I love that part of the story because it shows us how God puts people in our lives. I believe God puts spouses in our lives. He puts those children in our lives, those family in our lives, those that are around us, our friends, our church family. I believe that God helps guide our steps. There's lots of scripture that talks about that. And I love how beautiful this story is because there's great trust in Abraham. There's great trust in Isaac because his father's doing this for him. There's great trust in the servant. There's great trust in Rebecca's family. They said it. Well, the Lord has done this. You know, they weren't giving credit to Abraham. They were giving credit to the Lord. The Lord has directed this. And obviously they could sense that and how God was moving. And I see great trust in faith there. So I just believe this is a beautiful story, uh, not only of how God puts two people together, but how God works in our life and orchestrates our steps and if we will just follow him each step of the way, we will see his plan unfold. One of the things I love about this chapter, we don't see obstacles. We don't see trials. We don't see challenges. We don't see all of these different things in the way. What we see here is God's plan unfolding, and it's unfolding in a beautiful way. And the reason it is is because the people involved in the story had trust in the Lord that he was directing every step. And I know that sounds easy when we say it like that because it's hard sometimes, right? It's hard for us to do that. But can we get to that place where we just trust the Lord with these? This is a long way from him telling, you know, Sarah, the half truths about her, you know, been his wife, you know, and the whole sister story come a long way. But here now, each one of them displays such trust. Everybody in this chapter, there's trust that the Lord is directing this, how the Holy Spirit is moving, how the angel of the Lord has went before them, how all of this has been set up. Again, I do not believe this is forced by God in any way. I believe God had prepared it, planned it, but it was up to the individuals to walk in it. And if they chose to do so, they would find that blessing in which they did.
go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I obviously, since this seems like a very romantic story, saw a lot more in it than probably everybody else would, but I just, I just thought it was so beautiful, and I never really had thought about it. Like Pastor Steve said, you know, usually I've read it and just went on, and then when I saw all the different pieces in it, when I really slowed down and read it, I, um, yes, just the, the friendship that had formed between Abraham and his servant after all those years together, I believe that to me, he doesn't call Abraham my master because of their social stations, but because of his reverence for him and his honor for him. And then that Abraham could entrust the most important thing in the world. The most important thing in the world to him was the promise that God had given him, was, which was that his descendants would inherit that land and that through his family, all the earth would be blessed. And so he entrusted what we would think today is like his hired hand to go and take care of that. And you don't, I mean, that was not easily done. So there was mutual respect and, and trust there, like Pastor Steve said, and, and just the obligation that that servant was willing to take on when it really wasn't a benefit to him in any way, but because he loved Abraham so much, he was willing to do it. And so some of the things that I saw in this were was, um, th- so when the servant takes out on the search for uh, the wife, when he sets out on his journey, it says that he gets 10 camels and loads them down with gifts. And to me, I saw that as just an act of faith that he didn't know what was really going to happen. He didn't know that if he was going to find the girl in his mind, he could have been thinking, okay, this is a crapshoot, but I'm going to, you know, go ahead and take off and do and see what happens. But by faith, he took those camels and he loaded them with the gifts. And in that culture, there was, it was called a bride price. And it was what the groom's family paid the bride's family for the bride to come and, and, and come into their family and be married. And then, of course, the wife's family would have a dowry. So he took those by faith, believing that he was going to, um, to find a wife for Isaac. And um, I love that also, that when, when he gets to where he's going, I, I just think it's amazing that he's in the right place at the right time, and he, he prays. And yes, that influence of living in a home with Abraham all these years, has Abraham's faith has become his faith. So if we think ever that we're not an influence on those around us, those who maybe just even see us pray over our lunch, you know, in the cafeteria, or, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I know Pastor Steve and I both have talked about, you know, you run into people in Walmart or wherever, and they're like, hey, I've got this problem or that problem, and I'm like, well, let's just pray right here, you know, so his servant has been watching him, and, and he now has become a believer in the God that his master believes in. And so the prayer that he prays, I, I thought this was interesting because, and it's maybe kind of a big word, but I, I didn't realize there was a term for it. But the type of prayer the servant prays is called a mechanistic oracle, which sounds like a really big term, but we would understand it if I said setting out a fleece. We all know, most of us know the story of Gideon, and when God called him, Gideon was like, me, I'm the least of my family, I'm weak, I mean, I'm scared. And he's like, if the Lord really wants me to do this, I'm going to set a a fleece of wool out on the ground, and if it's wet the next morning when I get up, then I'm going to know the Lord told me, yes, you're going to go and 
and win this battle. And so that's the same kind of prayer that this servant prays because he doesn't know, so he prays a prayer. It's a prayer that you pray that is a yes or no question and that God will generate a specific answer. So we remember his prayer. He said, um, this is my request. Um, if I ask one of the young women, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you've selected for Isaac's wife. And so we know Pastor Steve just read this story, and that's what happened. Rebecca offered him a drink, but then offered to water his camels. And so, and it says even in the scripture there that he had barely finished the prayer when he saw Rebecca coming. So. It's so miraculous that God had all of these people in these positions, and it was just like it was the perfect day that it was all going to fall into place. So I thought that was really amazing. And, um, and then, because he still doesn't know who she is, I mean, he doesn't, we know because we're reading the story that it's Rebecca, but he doesn't know that it's um, a, a relative of Abraham. So then when she tells him who she is, he, he realizes, hey, this is the girl that I've been looking for. But then there's still a question, and that's going to be, is she going to say yes? I mean, just because he found her doesn't mean that she's going to be willing to go. But Sorry, am I going on too no. much? Okay. Yeah, okay, you're sorry. Fine. I told you, I saw a lot in this. So, um, so obviously we see that the family, he's come to the correct family. And so here are some things about Rebecca that he can already see just from meeting her there and her inviting him, telling him they have room for him at her, her home. Obviously, he said as she approached him, she was young, she was beautiful, she was old enough to be married, but she had never wed. She was kind and thoughtful. She offered him a drink and offered to water his camels. She wasn't afraid of harm, hard work. I'm sure watering 10 camels, it wasn't just like handing him a, you know, a bottled water from the vending machine. I mean, Camels probably drink quite a bit of water. In fact, I think one of them said they could drink up to 40 gallons of water each camel. So she's having to, you know, pull up a lot of water out of that well to feed them, to water them. And so she's not afraid of hard work. Obviously, she's hospitable. So she's really everything that Abraham or the servant would be looking for in a wife for Isaac. So obviously, this is no accident. And to me, it just showed the sovereignty of God that he had a plan for each one of them. And as long as they were willing to go along with that plan, it was all going to fall in place, like Pastor Steve said. Um, Proverbs 19.21 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. And um, then also, I believe this sh story showed obviously, since I'm a person who loves to pray, this shows the value of our prayers. Um, both the servant and Abraham had prayed for the angel of the Lord to direct them to the right woman, and, and it's what happened. And James 5.16 says, the earnest prayers of a righteous person have great power and produce wonderful results. And we can see in this story that they did. Um, and then the next thing is obviously that the um, servant has to tell the family why he's there and, and ask them, you know, are they going to, to go along with this? And they, they can't deny that the Lord is in this. Like Pastor Steve said, um, how in the world could they even question that God was a part of this, and so they agree to this, but then, you know, they kind of want Rebecca to stay there for 10 days, and the servant's like, no, this is, we made a done deal, we need to go, and Rebecca agrees to it, and so I also thought it was beautiful, the prayer that, uh, the blessing that her family gives her as she's leaving because if you listen to it it sounds just like the promise that God had given Abraham for his descendants because the very last time he speaks to him in Genesis 22:17 it sounds almost just like this 
They said over her, Our sister, may you become the mother of millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. And that was something that God had added to his blessing on Abraham, that that his family would be victorious over their enemies. So I thought that was really powerful. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah. You You're doing beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Love story. You know how women are. Um, and then the last thing, obviously, is the last few verses. And when you get to the last few verses of this story, it just obviously gives me all the feels in this. And um, when you, you know, in your mind, if you just picture Isaac out there alone in his fields and, you know, he's walking and he seems to be meditating, he's a solitary figure, you almost get the feeling like he's waiting on something or someone like he's not quite complete and he knows it. And then Rebecca has the advantage of knowing that she's going to meet her husband, but she has no idea who he is until she sees him walking alone. And this is the man that she's waited all of her life for. And then Genesis 24, 67, and Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. And I believe that the great love that Isaac had witnessed with his parents was now what he would experience, and it's just a beautiful love story with many lessons. Yeah, so good. Psalm 37, 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. And he delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Well, I really see that playing out yeah. in Abraham's life. Yeah. I see it playing out in his family. And I go back to Kelly, you know, when we say the Lord was in it, you know, you're talking about the family again, and they could not deny it. Yeah. Boy, isn't that what you want to see God do in our lives today, in our families today, that people can't deny that it's God moving. People can't deny that it's God who has orchestrated the moments together, the spiritual awakening that we pray for and begin to see happening. You hear me refer to it often now because I'm hungry for it, and I believe it, and I know you are too, and there's a great stirring. The world will not be able to deny that there's something spiritual that's happening. The world will not be able to deny. They might not be able to explain it. They may mock it, but they will not be able to deny that God is moving. And so I love this in the story that, of course, everyone here, uh, and I don't want to, obviously, we don't, not trying to set them up as perfect that they have no mistakes, but just in this chapter, you just see the faith. They're godly people. I do think it's important to, to, to look at how Abraham wanted his servant to go, and his servant did. I read in one of the commentaries. I didn't count it, but I think he referred to him as master 22 times. Yes. And so it says it in this chapter, or at least the chapter does itself. And so there's great, great respect right there uh, in that. But I, I want to notice that Abraham did not want him to marry any of the women of the land in which he was living in. Now, that might sound, you know, at first a little bit prejudiced, you know, a little bit elitist, a little bit, oh, none of these women are pretty enough, good enough, because don't you believe that there were women in the land that were beautiful and there were women in the land that would make incredible, you know, wives and, and, and they would be able to serve the purpose and they could know the Lord as well because uh, we know God is not a respecter of persons. Uh, but... The reason why, and as we look into this, and, and I looked at a couple of things here, and I agree with you know kind of what I found, and it's because it's how I've always you know thought and you know been taught, is that he there was so much sin abounding where he was at, and we know that because of where we were a couple of weeks ago, yeah. because we know Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. and we know what the scripture said about the towns around Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's no secret that in this land right now, this land of Canaan, there is all types of sin, yeah. all type of perversion, all, all type of idolatry. There's all type of this going on. And this is a beautiful Old Testament passage 
that gives weight you know, to what the Apostle Paul teaches us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and about how we are to separate ourselves, how to be holy, how we're not to have a union, you know, and, and these close friendships and partnerships and marriages with unbelievers and to be unequally yoked. Uh, that's not talking about race. That's not talking about anything of that nature. That's talking about, you know, the heart. That's talking about our faith and our belief and our trust. And so I, I, you, we look at that and we see that at the very beginning and why he wants him to go there is because... This is God's promise, and God's promise will be fulfilled through his people, and so uh, that's why he, he chose to do that. I go back then to Psalms 37, the Lord directs the steps of the godly, Abraham, the servant, those that went with him, everybody involved, the family, Rebecca, Laban, the mother, uh, he has directed this. And I don't mean to be too repetitive, but there's much weight in the fact that God will orchestrate the steps of the godly. He will not force his hand, but he will go before us. He will prepare the hearts of the people, and he will move. And he will move in a powerful and a blessed way if we will choose to move with him. I think of myself, and I think of this story, and I'm like, wow, God, if I just could have got that a lot earlier on. Have you ever felt like God had set everything up and you just missed it? You just missed it. And you know, God allows that. We grow, we learn. Uh, again, that's why I referred to Abraham and his life journey uh, up until this point. But I just think that helps us bring that passage to life there of how the Lord uh, directs our steps and if we will just choose, uh, choose to follow him and do that. Psalm 25, uh, 4, uh, the prayer is prayed, show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. I don't know if that was written for that specific circumstance in the author's life, but that's a great prayer for you and I to pray tonight, especially in the time and the culture in which we live. God, show me the right path. There are days when I have conversations where I watch what's unfolding, and I know of certain circumstances, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's hard for me to find what I need to be able to say the right thing or maybe make the right decision. And I look at this chapter, I look at these verses and I'm sharing with you now, and I know you pray this, but there's so much weight in saying, God, show me the right path to take. Guide my steps in such a way where you go before me. Lead me, teach me in your truth, teach me in your ways. You are the one who saves and that's where my hope is going to be. Uh, of course, we know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 very well. Many of you know it by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So here we are in this story again. The understanding is of God. What would God would do? And it was just the people uh, making sure that they were going to walk in such a way. Kelly, do you want to say anything? Just Does that stir you in any way? Do you have anything else you want to no, bring? No, I'm pretty much good. I'm pretty much to the end of this, and so... Um, well, I just had a few things that I felt like I learned from this chapter, and um, a couple of them I may have already said, but the first one is just that the prayers that we pray are important, and they're heard by God, and for us to understand how important it is for us to pray God's will over our, our children, over our friends, over our family. And That's then, so good, if I can stop you right there yeah. for a minute. That's so good, because I thought that earlier when you were speaking. This wasn't just... I mean, you obviously see God's will here. Yeah. So when they're praying, it's not a wishful prayer that they it just come from self. Yeah. That is a great example of how when we pray, we want to pray according to God's purpose and God's plan. So Abraham's praying according to the promise. The servant's praying according to the promise. The family's praying according to the promise. So all of these prayers that are being prayed are pray, being prayed according to God's will. And that's where people struggle sometimes because they leave God's will out of it because it's more of a, a wish. Right. You know, it's wishful thinking or it's, it's something that God doesn't really want for us, but yet that's the way we continue to go and praying according to God's will. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That was no, so, so no. good, Kelly. I'm glad well, you said that. Well, just important because, like, we don't know. We don't have all the answers. But even if I, you know, even if I pray, like, Lord, I ask you for your will for Kaylin's life. I mean, that's me praying 
in his will. I, I don't know specifically what to pray. Sometimes maybe I will, but if I don't, then just praying for that. And then Pastor Steve and I had talked earlier today. Um, obviously, there's example of the marital relationship that we talked about, but also just all relationships that, that God brings into our life. Um, relationships we form with the people we work with, relationships that we form you know, uh, friendships we make here at church, the people that we're involved in that maybe do the same ministry as we do, or people that through our hobbies or whatever, that we would see those, um, the people that God brings in into our lives as really as gifts, because um, if we look at this example here, they can teach us really all about trust and about commitment about keeping our word. Um, they give us opportunity to share our faith, to be a part of something sometimes that's way bigger than just ourselves, and, uh, and to learn how to love and to allow ourselves to be loved. Because I know a lot of us are really good at doing for others or loving someone, but allowing others to love us, that's something many of us have to learn how to do. Um, and, and then to add into that just the, the marriage relationship, I, I believe that strong, healthy marriages are good for everybody, even single people. Single people need strong, healthy marital relationships around them. They need, there's been many people that Kevin and I have ministered to that were a single woman or a single man, but they needed both of us. They needed what both of Kevin and I had to offer them. And so um, that, that was God, that's God's plan. That's how um, our, our existence is founded on a family relationship, Adam and Eve consummating their marriage or their being together and having children. And the only way we're going to survive is through families. Like when you end that, then our existence as the human race ends. So um, it, it's just important for that. And um, then I, the last thing I want to say really is that God's story of love for us is just a thread that really runs through every book in the Bible and every story in the Bible. And we can see a picture of his plan woven into this story and a picture of a father that wants the best for his child, a beautiful bride that's waiting for her groom, a portrait of Jesus being united with his bride, the church. And I just think that's so beautiful when you... It's a, great, it's a, it's a type yeah, and a shadow of what's to come. The bride of Christ. Yeah. Been prepared for the groom. So, and I'm glad you said that too, Kelly, because it's about, you know, not just people that are married or because this is not a chapter just for married people. No. This chapter is for everyone, every believer, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're older, whether you're young, whether you're widowed, wherever you may be. This chapter is for everybody because it really is a chapter of trusting God yeah. and walking in what he has placed before you, walking what he has placed before you in your life. And uh, the promise is being protected here. When you are walking according to God's purpose and his will, you're protecting the promise that God has spoken over your life. Yeah. When you start doing it on your own, and you leave God out of the equation, and you step out of his will, you're no longer protecting that promise. God will always do his part. And this promise is going to be fulfilled. But we do see the interaction, and we see the choices that the people make. And uh, it's just beautiful, once again, how God directs, directs the story and directs the chapter. And, of course, this is significant as it, you know, is the very, you know, we're, we're past, I guess, the beginning now with Abraham, but we're still early on in this nation being formed. You know, this nation of Israel. I mean, that's where we're leading to, yeah. the nation of Israel. We're leading to where we're at today. We're leading to us being grafted in to the nation of Israel as believers, because we're all Gentiles if we're not Jewish. And so all of this is just leading us to where we're going to be. So just a powerful, powerful story. Again, I love it because we're no war. There's no, you know, battles. You know, we're not in the middle of this. You just see a, just, a, just a beautiful picture of trusting and walking it's, in God's it's the steps. It's flick of Genesis. 
You know, she says that, but I liked it too. I mean, the I, Hallmark movie of Genesis. I used to complain about those movies. We don't watch them as much now because you know you see them one, you've seen them all. They start the same way. They have terminal in the middle, then they end. You know, it's they have a simple kiss, and it's like bye, it's over. You know, and then we have another one. And so, uh, but uh, no, every every guys won't admit it, but you know, we we love this part of it too. We love this. Uh, I mean, it reminded me of my own you know, relationship with my spouse, you know, how in the world did I meet a girl, you know, that was born in California, you know, and, and how did we end up being in the same place, and, and where we both were at in life, and where we were both at in relationships, and how God just orchestrated our steps, and uh, it's a, you know, pretty cool story, and I'm not going to tell it, because your story is just as cool, and you have that story, how God put you together, and I bet you got a long story, Brad. I bet you do. And so, and then also our stories of how, you know, there's different challenges and things happen in broken relationships. And, and so God's grace, God's mercy at work in all of us. doesn't matter who we are. God's at work in all of our lives. But what we have to learn is to trust him. Don't lean on our, on our own understanding. Trust him. Walk in his ways. Pray according to his will. Pray according to his purpose. And just strive to do the best as we as we do that. Amen. And he loves us. Amen. He loves us. Amen. And he runs to us. And he surrounds us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for just your presence tonight. For the word that speaks to all of our soul. For a word that encourages. For a word that gives light to our relationship with you. To a word that shows the moving of your spirit how you go before us, how the Holy Spirit goes and those things that have been spoken over our lives, the things we know, the things that are unknown still, but how you prepare. And Father Lord, how we, as we walk with you, we will see these things unfold as we put our trust in you. So Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for my family here this evening. The prayer that I've prayed earlier over them, I just believe, God, that you're working in all their hearts and all their lives. And Lord, we do, as we close out this evening, we pray that as we continue to walk into this spiritual awakening, as we believe for salvations, as we believe for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as we believe, Father Lord, for the miraculous to take place, we want all that to be according to your will, to your purpose, to your plan. Not something that we desire of our own, but something, Father Lord, that you've placed inside of our lives. So I pray over my family and I pray just your presence, rich every day, the power of your Holy Spirit, guiding, leading, uh, helping us into and guiding us into all truth, convicting us when we're going down the wrong path, steering us in the, right, in the right ways, in the right places. Thank you for the way that you work in all of our lives. As we pray tonight, as we intercede, as we just spend our time with you, I pray just this, this beautiful presence, this peaceful presence, Father Lord just continues over each and every one. I thank you. We love you. We honor you. In your holy name, amen.